Alright, so I'm at home instead of my office. I don't know all that. You need me to turn some lights on in that background? You know, I think you're pretty good, don't you think? We're you sitting think? in an attic right now. Yeah, so this I is. We're, we're, I'm in the uh, the middle of a a move, and so typically we have a we had a whole setup back here. Uh, and by setup, I just mean random stuff hung up on the <laughs> yeah, wall. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing crazy. And uh, but then I, I'm I'm moving, so we moved to Jared's office. But now Jared, you just jo- joined another company, yeah. so now we don't have an office. So we're back here because I haven't closed on my house yet. So, anyways, we're transient podcasters at the moment. I thought you'd kind of built like the inside of a, you know, of a homemade blind. That yeah. door looked like the inside of a blind. So I you, thought, man, those guys are creative. You know, that would have <laughs> that would have been better. It actually leads right out right out to the uh great outdoors. The, yeah, so I could shoot a deer out of there. I just would need a, a shotgun. That would be a great podcast. That, you know, I think so too. Uh yeah, so it, well, uh, let's just jump right into it. Uh We've yeah. been we're so excited to have you on, uh, and and figured it's spring. Lots of guys are turkey hunting right now, but maybe they're, mm-hmm. they're starting to think about some land management stuff. And and figured you know you do a lot of those types of things, and and figured uh, we'd go there. But before we get into any of that, do you want to take a minute and just introduce who you are and and what you do? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm Grant Woods. I'm a wildlife biologist, and I actually schooled at Georgia and Clemson University of Georgia and Clemson. Uh, in my process there and stuck around, married a Southern Belle and stuck around for quite a while. And then we moved back here to Missouri where I'm from. And for years, I just consulted. I helped landowners, be that uh, industrial like timber companies or government agencies and a lot of private landowners and got tired of traveling quite so much. And my good friend, Bill Winky, who started Midwest Whitetails and we've been friends forever you know, started talking about doing a video thing to share information. And, you know, if you share quality information, maybe some partners will come alongside of you. So we did, and we've been blessed. We've had 11 years plus now. We make a show. This was a silly idea, silly idea. We make a show every week, 52 weeks out of year. We've never missed a week. We've never had a repeat in over 11 years. So, you you know, and, and we don't like film five and then take off and, you know, like, go elk hunt. We, we, we pump out what we did last week. Wow. So, so a lot anyway. of guys will just load up on a single day, you know? Yeah. We're not that smart. No, <laughs> we, we have to work for a living. We're not that smart. That's right. No, that's, that's yeah. funny. You know, I was just, uh, on, on the way here, I was driving uh, with my wife and I'm like, you know, I'm really excited. I've, you know, I've got Dr. Woods on and, uh, kind of explained. So I, I had spent, yeah, I grew up in Michigan yeah. Ended up moving to uh, to New Jersey for for law school, and when I was there, just with school and everything else, I mean, I, I hunted two or three times total in those those three years. Um, but I remember at the tail end, I started getting like the hunting itch, and that was kind of when you were kind of rising in you oh, know okay. notoriety, maybe you could say. And uh, and so you were one of the people that I was like getting me excited to get back to Michigan and, and get hunting again. So it's exci- it's exciting to yeah. have you on. Yeah. I, I just spoke to a family in Michigan. I'll be working in Upper Michigan soon, helping them with the uh, habitat program for their land. Uh, we do a fair amount in Michigan. I'll tell you, a couple of years ago, I don't know, two or three years ago, it was February, I think, and I got invited to speak at, at a church up there. I speak at a lot of churches, and uh, it was at, uh, oh, what's the T-Town right up there on the very top? of Traverse the City. Yeah, yeah, man, and I... I was all excited, you know, sold out crowd, big gig, two nights in a row, both nights sold out, and uh, get off the plane. 
and it was just one of those days that, you know, humans shouldn't be out in. I, I don't know. Was, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say the temperature because I'll get it wrong, but it was really cold and the wind chill was way on down there. And I'd rented, you know, always rent the cheapest rental car and there's a little, I don't know, Dodge Neon or something like that. <laughs> uh oh. It was so cold. Man, it was cold. But I think that's why people come to the seminar. They could all get close and huddle up and stay warm. Yeah, it's in body there. heat. You know, that I was going to say, driving, you know, I would, would you come in from Grand Rapids? Uh, I actually flew all the way into Traverse City. Little, okay. Got the little puddle jumper on that last leg there. I was going nice. to say, driver into Traverse City in the cold and a, a, a small car a would be the four worst. That'd that be, be, uh, that's a, like a, an adventure right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, snow was blowing. You know, I'm trying to find the road. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Michigan. <laughs> well, yeah, so, yeah, we wanted to have you on. Uh, we're actually just in the middle of our – let's start with turkeys. I want to talk about turkeys a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Do you turkey hunt? You turkey hunt. Everybody yeah, watches you. I just you. tagged one Monday morning. I love turkey hunting. Well, we uh, we have one week. Basically, there's a couple seasons in Michigan. Okay. Um, but to get this season, it's a one-week season, one tag. You get one chance at it. So Jared and I are just getting back from our weekend – Yearly weekend camp out turkey yep. out. Uh, oh yeah, beautiful weekend. Um, got onto you got a bird your first sit mm-hmm. with your bow. Yeah, yeah. So that morning was it was pretty crazy. I had found there's a there's a ridge system that I usually hunt every year. There turkeys are always roosting on it, so I know exactly yeah. where to go. And so I went to that spot again, and I wasn't there for more than an hour, and I had a big time coming in. It I did did like a little fly down cackle, so I got his attention, and he came over like real quick, like quicker than what I would have thought. So he came in like straight to my right side, and I'm hunting with a bow, so I didn't really have a shot at him, but he's sitting there sure. just, just barking at me. And eventually he kind of goes off uh, to regroup with the hens he was with. Mm-hmm. And while, while that was happening, and probably about 50 yards behind me, I kind of then – am able to like scurry around onto my knees and kind of sit oh, up wow. so hopefully they can get up you know traveling back to me but while that's happening i had a group of like four jakes come in at like five yards and just start cruising around where i'm sitting and go off towards my decoy so now i'm pinned and i can't do anything sure. son of a gun yeah but lo and behold probably about a half hour later i get another gobble from a tom off in a different direction and he could pretty much come straight in i was able to make a you know a quick clean shot on the turkey and yeah it was had, sweet had a sweet morning yeah it was fun. that's awesome so i mean you're telling me you're just huddled up by a tree or something you're not in the ground blind no we no. don't we don't do ground we don't put up tents or anything no yep. that's awesome man how did you get drawn back without the turkey busting you there is believe it or not the way the way i have it set up i always go to the same tree but there are two just giant maple trees Right, yeah. right at like maybe like my one o'clock and eleven o'clock, and I usually put the decoys okay. right in the middle, you know, kind of yeah, like straight in front yeah. of me. And there's a two track that I put them on, so they're pretty visible. Yeah. And as soon as that tom goes behind one of those trees, it's just enough time for me to get drawn back, and then he's right at the decoys, slows down, and get him. It's, what a setup, man! You yeah. better keep that baby a hot spot. I, I, no one <laughs> goes there. Well, too. now he knows I'm where going it is. There, I'm going there tomorrow. So, <laughs> well, the thing is, so this is what happens. He he does this right, and I'm down the way uh and i just i'm not hearing a, a whole lot but i get a call from you and you're like hey man you got you got to get over here i got a turkey coming in i'm like well why don't you shoot it he's like because i just shot one i already so, got one man so i grabbed my bow i grabbed half my stuff ran about a mile to the car yep. drove to you 
ran another what half mile in mm-hmm. but i Man. did get in and we did call another turkey in he came to in. that same spot yep uh with your turkey land like right there which is yeah. fun uh that's a big decoy yeah yeah mm-hmm. it was great and so but that one that one we had that old tom come in again yeah uh, but those jakes came back and did the same thing they chased him away and they all kind of just yeah oh yeah yeah they just and that's when off. you know not to use a, did you have a what decoy setup did you have out did you have hens or jake and a hen or i had i had a uh, one hen with uh, like a half strut jake just close behind her and usually that can. That and did the Tom, I'm curious, did the Tom go to your setup or with those aggressive Jakes around there? Was he kind of flaring off that Jake setup? This is, we talked about this. I was like, because when we went back, I said we should only put up a hen, remember? Because I'm like, I think that, that big Tom will get a little nervous about seeing a Jake there. That first, yeah. that first older Tom in the morning came to probably 25 yards away from the decoys and just stayed right yeah. there. Yeah. Um, the Jakes actually came up to the decoys and started messing around with them. Which is not a surprise. Yeah. Right. yeah. But then my turkey that I had shot, which I was guessing was a, a two-year-old turkey, so probably not uh, a dominant Tom at all. Um, just the way he was acting, he just kind of ran right in and mm-hmm. acting dumb. So yeah. I got him. <laughs> I love two-year-old turkeys. They made me look like a good turkey hunter. I know, I love right? Yep. Yeah. So nothing to complain about. Yeah, that sounds awesome, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I, I will say you, you made it look easy, right? Because so he, he's used to the compound. I've got a, a recurve. We, okay. we spent we spent the next day, and I was at, very lucky to have him, I'll say, because the next day we had you had tagged out. You're like, I'll just come call for you. Mm-hmm. We called, you. what did you call in, five different birds that day as we were just kind of running and gunning all, all through the woods? Yeah. yeah. And yep. – we had four of them I could have shot with a compound. Yeah, within or shot five with a 40, shotgun. 40 yards, yeah. Yep. So. It was good. I'm impressed, guys. I got – it's all him. Yeah, he he's very – so I'll, I'm saying this to build him up because <laughs> uh, right now we're in the middle of the – what is it called? The BHA turkey calling contest. And so Jared won the state. He went to fi- regionals that he's in right now. Well, he was in, and was he, in. but he lost today. I and lost. so I'm trying to build him up because I don't want him to feel too defeated after <laughs> no, his big loss. That's, that's impressive. That's impressive. I'm trying, you know. Yeah. You can't win them all. And in, 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 in the contest, are you running a certain – are you a diaphragm guy or, you know, a friction guy? What do you do in contest? Do you do it all? I, I can do them all, but I yeah. primarily use just a diaphragm call. I just like the in way – yeah, I like the way it sounds. It's easier yeah. for me to manipulate. Um, sure. Yeah, that's what I've used. You but can I, do more things with it, I think, too. You can gob, you can do everything with it. You were making Jake calls, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do as long as you, you know, take the time to practice and. Hey, do it you know, right let's and, talk about let's talk about something really practical here. I get this yeah. question, and I'll tell you something. I just tried this year for the first time, and I don't think it's messed me up yet. I don't know, but <laughs> uh, you know, everyone gets a problem with the reed sticking together, right? You oh, know, yeah. Because you got in yeah. your mouth, you're salivating, that's full of bacteria. I'm not trying to be gross. And that comes a glue and sticks your reeds together. Yeah. Well, you know, are you worse them out when you get home? What, what's your, you know, what's your call? You just making new ones. You probably got the press. You're making new ones all the time. What's, what's your call maintenance? Are you the yeah. guy that can just throw them on the dash for five years? Oh, no. Leave them in the heat and they still work good. No. You, well, yeah. What do you do? I, I don't know. I feel like you get them, you, know, you just continually get new calls. I, You've owned a lot of calls. I just like to I, – I like messing around with the different way they sound because every different – each cut is going to sound different, like a back cut sure. or a wing cut or, a, you know, yeah. go, you know. 
Um, but you got your favorite call, and you you know you want yep. it to last a little longer. Is there any maintenance you do to it? I will definitely wash them out. You do? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Because I mean, like even on those couple days we were out there, I'm st- just sticking it in my pocket. There's lint all over the place, and um, I, to to keep those reeds good, I'll give them a good clean wash. Yeah. Make sure they're dry, but before it's completely dry, I'll either stick like a little piece of toothpick or like the the tube of a, a Q-tip just in between yeah. those reeds just to give a little bit of airflow in there and just to keep them separated. Really? Yeah. You know, I tried something uh, the other day. He's holding out on you, wasn't he, man? He wasn't sharing that secret with you. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't use mouth calls. I just throw them away and get a new one. <laughs> I got a bag of calls, you know, I had when I was a kid or people gave me or whatever, and half of them are old and yellow and about as hard as a brick. I mean, you read that. You, you want to I mean, nothing that, you know. <laughs> so I'm going to try something. You know, for deer hunting, your breath is the biggest offender, right? You've got this warm, moist air coming out that just rides on any air current and it's full of bacteria smelling like a predator. I mean, it just, it's not, it's not me, my shirt's much, but then that breath, I mean, it's just super offensive. Yeah. Especially Jared. But yeah. years ago we started using an oxidizer type mouthwash. Mm. There's several brands out there, but an oxidizer type mouthwash and you must follow the directions. I mean, guys aren't good following directions. I mean, do it for a minute, spit it out, put another minute in, spit it out. And man, that I'll tell you, you, test your breath out there and stand you're good for three or four hours i mean it's amazing that's a and date tip right busted. there i think i get busted a little less i can still get busted but i you know i'm getting away from what i used to and i don't think i smell any better than i used to Oxidizer. so i had that sitting on my bathroom counter and i come in with some old gnarly calls man i mean it looked like i've been chewing tobacco with them for a long time <laughs> stowed one of my wife's coffee cups i'm not a coffee drinker and put some water in there and I poured just a small, I guess to make 10% of this oxidizer type mouthwash, not much. And put my finger in there, tore it around, left it overnight. Next morning I walked in there and I noticed a little bit of the dye off the tape had come off. You know, the water's mm-hmm. a little different color. And I, huh. And I pulled out, flipped it a little bit, put it in there. Man, it sounded, it didn't sound that good since it was new. Really? I was shocked. And I think it, you know, got rid of that glue, that old bacteria between the reeds and whatnot. And if you got your favorite call, I'll be careful about trying this, but I'm telling you for mine, it rejuvenated some calls. That is a great tip. I'm going to have to use that. Now that my season's yeah. done, I'm, said, you know, get your least favorite call first and let it <laughs> test know, it out. See how it happens. Don't put that championship call in there first time. <laughs> call. Hey Grant, man, you owe me a call. <laughs> what's your, yeah, what's I your favorite cut of call? Month. Say again. What's your what's like what's your cut? Like what's your favorite type of cut? Oh man, I'm not a championship caller. I'm a I like to kill turkeys. I'm not there a championship go. caller. So uh, sometimes I'll use a cut on the right or a cut on the left. Yeah. I, I got a buddy who makes my own, so it's not just like the standard store bought cuts, you know. Yeah. And I can't even remember, but the simple double read has got a cut on both sides. I can't remember what that's called, just a little cut on both sides. Yeah, V-cut? Is that what that is? No, it's not a V. It's just a straight-in cut. Oh. It's like close to the frame. Oh, I see. Hmm. Uh, and if I'm just doing soft calling in the morning, that's my favorite because you can be really tender on that call. Yeah. And I'll get a three-read, I can't remember the name, not V-cut, but the cut on the right side. I'm a right-side guy. Okay. That's what mine is, that one. Yeah. yeah. What is that? And, and I kind of work my tongue on that side a little bit, and so I'm a three read cut on the right guy. Very cool. Yeah, I'm a I'm a slate guy myself. <laughs> I'll use well, a box call. Right 
you're a slate guy and a stick bow hunter, man. I mean, you're a good buddy. Do you got like that slate taped to your bow or something like you know, that? I, How you that? He needs to have a wing bone. Call. I need a wing bone. You're going call. full traditional. Yeah, I really do bone. need that. We were just talking though. I'm uh, debating just also throwing a little compound bow hunting in there. It's oh, yeah. it's been a couple years, yeah. and you know my my success rate has taken a bit of a hit. Yeah, I think has. we can all agree. Yep. So. You know, you know, uh, you know. I'm a little older than you guys. I'm 59, and I can remember to. I mean, I've still got the first Shakespeare bow someone gave me. It's my first store bought bow besides a home built bow. I still have it. One of my buddies loaned it to his little brother after I got a better bow and broke the tip off. So it's a little shorter than it used to be. But I, <laughs> and I've got a whole series of stick bows on my office wall. I, I shoot for prime. I shoot prime bow. But I've still you know, got fond memories. You know, some of the biggest driver ever killed been a stick bow. And and I've noticed that I just like carrying a light bow at times. You know, I love my compound. But what I've learned through the years is I can remember when compounds first come out. I'm I was raised just west of Republic, Missouri, yep. which means nothing to you guys, but it's right next to Billings, Missouri, where Mr. Allen patented the first compound bow. Okay. So I was a boy when all that process, I mean, I knew where shop was, and I was kind of a boy when all that was going on, and, and I was one of those guys. Who had carried a bow with training wheels on it, man? I can remember <laughs> those words. I mean, who would do? Who wants to carry that big, heavy thing around until I picked one up and go, Oh man, I can hit what I'm aiming at. This is amazing. <laughs> Shocking so, how that works. Yeah. So, and that's the same. And then, and then we kind of went through that with crossbows, you know, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. here's my take on it, man. If you're legal and you're having fun, mm-hmm. I don't care what you're using. Let's get out there and I, have I a good time. It. Yep. Yeah. I want people to have fun, consume some natural venison, have some fresh meat, you know, really enjoy the outdoors, maybe make a connection with that environment and everything going on out there. Cause I think people that are connected like that probably got a, you know, a decent chance of being a better steward of the resource and kind of understand, you know, life and death and things that make society go around in a positive way. I meant that positive. You know, everyone thinks hunters are violent. I, I find that hunters that are really connected, maybe they're scratching out a food plot or, you know, they're, they're working with the environment somehow, or they got a big garden or something. I tend to find those people are a little bit more connected and they learn, droughts happen you know you can't get in our shape right we can't control that or like today in missouri we got a little snow i mean here we are april 19th and like i can tell all the guys listen y'all in this midwest band you know southern iowa kansas missouri that got the snow today don't be hunting white oak acorns this fall because they're not gonna be any because you know the oaks are here here probably not your place yet here are making flowers you see those long things hanging down an oak, that's the male flower and a little bitty bud like right in the crotch of a small limb or twig or something, that, that's the female flower and that flower will become the acorn. Well, they're not there yet. They're not pollinated yet or even if they were, when it's just, it's gonna be like 25 tonight and it's wet, it snowed today, you know, rain a little night, all those flowers are gonna freeze. And when you, and the number one cause to not have an acorn crop is a late frost. Well, we're having a late, late freeze. So. There's going to be way fewer acorns in this part of the world. So you got your favorite standing out there on a big white oak ridge or something. You better go out there about, you know, late August or September and see, are there any even acorns up there? Because there may not be this year. And red, now, red oaks, the flowers that got damaged or will get damaged tonight, red oaks set flowers this year, and that flower pollinates and becomes an acorn the next year. White oaks, they set, they pollinate flowers and become an acorn this year. Oh, I see. Every year, red and one's oak, every other. 
Yeah, well, that red oaks will make flowers every year, but it takes two years for that flower to develop into an acorn. There was a plan, right? There was a master plan. So originally, historically, forested in general, going by early explorer notes, we're about 40% white oak and about 60% red oak. You know, there's all kinds of variance. But in, that's what the early botanists going through the country wrote down, right, on average. So that's a master plan because the odds of having a late frost two years in a row are pretty slim. So there's always going to be a source of carbohydrates out there. If the white oaks are white out, the wet oaks from the year before probably made. And, and, and so there's, there's really some really cool stuff once you start understanding the biology. That's what I was talking about earlier. If you get out there and kind of dig in a little bit and understand the biology and the cycles of some of these things, it probably makes you a little bit more tuned in to what's going on. Yeah, that's amazing to know. And I mean, you always talk about like enjoying creation, right? You know, uh, and, and that's creation kind of, working and that that's pretty cool yeah yeah um yeah so like i'm gonna tell daniel and the guys i work with y'all go hunt the white oaks this fall okay i think i'll slide <laughs> over here to the red oak ridge. i was just gonna say is that is that what is your plan gonna move on to the red oaks because so if that does happen i mean it does make sense to stick to the red oaks that this fall but you know maybe you're looking or at if you got a food pot program man that may be you know white oaks tend to drop earlier than red oaks and they're more palatable early because they have a lower tannic acid level. They're not as bitter. Acid is bitter. But you've noticed the white oaks, a light rain or something will cause them to germinate. And once you see that taproot coming out the bottom, you know, they're done. The chemistry changes. Deer are not going to eat them. That, you know, they're done. So since we're probably not going to have many white oaks this fall, it's a great year to have a good food plot. That's what I was going to ask. Okay. really attractive in early season because, you know, a lot of times deer kind of vanish. Hunters go, oh, you know, deer this year, what in the timber? And they're bedding and eating about 10 yards apart. And it's hard to get in there without spooking them. So, oh, I mean, I can't see deer this year. But this year, in a lot of areas, not everywhere, of course, but a lot of areas, they're going to come to food plots early and they're going to stay on them because that's the best food source around. So this would be an important year to make sure those fall or hunting season food plots are tuned up and ready to rock. That's, gr- that's great. And, and so, you know, as as you're kind of preparing and planning for, for this the upcoming fall, um, it's, you know, April right now. What's, you know, you're looking at maybe, like you said, how things like uh, mass crops are doing, but what else are you looking at? What are you thinking about at, at, during this time of year? Well, you know, right now we, we've got our seed drill. We plan with the no-till drill. Well, some small plots we still broadcast out there, you know, yep. that's where the interns come in, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got our seed and our plant equipment ready and we're just waiting to roll, but most of summer forage varieties do better when the soil temperature, this is kind of funky, at two inches deep at 9 a.m. is about 60 degrees. And you say, well, why, why are you being surprised? Well, two inches deep is kind of that early root zone, right, for a seedling or whatever. And at 9 a.m., of course, the earth loses heat all night long. On a cloudy night, it loses less. And on a clear night, it loses more. And so that soil is just cooling, 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 losing heat. And the sun doesn't get high enough over the horizon till about 9 a.m. Now, you know, a little variance if you're on the east slope, west slope, whatever. But about 9 a.m., the sun will have enough radiant energy to start warming the soil back up. So 9 a.m. is about as cold as the soil is going to be all night long. And that's when you take the soil temperature. Hey, my soil is up to 60 degrees and I can plant now. And then I tell people, you know, you got to have a little sense with that. If it's 60 degrees like I live in Missouri and it's snowing like crazy in Kansas, don't plant yet, right? Your soil is getting ready to cool back off, but kind of look west of you and see what the weather is. And, but your seeds are so cool. You know, the genes are set when, when a seed is, is 
is, you know, pollinated or a sperm meets egg, the, the genes are set. We were always taught, but that's not quite true because survival kicks in and it's called turning on and turning off. Some genes can turn on, some genes can turn off. Okay. Well, a seed in the soil that's planted a little early, maybe it's 55 or 50 or too dry or whatever, may turn off some genes to survive because survival is the name of the game. Well, they may not turn back on. So that, that plant, that individual plant is never as productive as it could be. And that may be in biomass or fruit production, seed production or, or palatability. So you wanna get those seedlings off to a great start to give them a better chance to expressing their full genetic potential. Are they, when they're turning things off, are they, you know, cause you're planted too early. So they're doing that obviously to conserve energy and, 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 and so on. So yeah. is there like a, a consistent thing that is turned off or, or how, how is that, how, how does it determine what to turn off? Hey, you know, you're getting really deep in genetics right now. Can we go back to that Punnett Square where we only got four choices? In there? <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, it's harder to turn on. I'm not a geneticist, right? So I'm regurgitating here. Let me make that clear. I read a lot. It's harder to turn on than turn off. You basically turn off to survive. And just look at it this way, and this is not genetics, but you, this has been done a lot. You can take a buck that you know it's antlers produce X as a three-year-old in captivity or whatever. You know, it's a totally controlled environment. And then feed it a much lower quality diet the next year. And you can, I hate to use this term because researchers wouldn't do this, but you can starve it down to barely producing antlers. Uh, and there's still got enough body, obviously, because the universities are all under health protocols and all that. I mean, the buck can live and he can survive and do all that. But antlers are a byproduct, like having fawns or producing milk are a byproduct. You maintain your health first. Yeah, right. And reproduction is secondary. Got it. So let me, th can I throw one more out since we're throwing these zingers out tonight? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. All right. So a lot of people call like, oh man, I, I saw this buck and his antlers are kind of funky on one side. So I took him out, but I really, I improved that genetics that deer herd. I feel good about that. Oh, yes. <laughs> there we go. I'm glad Thank you're you. talking about this. That's it. I'm calling a break. You're calling a break? Break in the episode. This for is a timeout. Timeout in the episode, and we are going to thank a couple more sponsors, so deal with it. It's no secret that I love traditional archery, and I love Bivouac Boco. Jim and Georgia, years of experience. Each bow is handcrafted, one of a kind. I've got special camel limbs that nice. they did special for me. They look awesome, and they stand the test of time, but it's looking great, shoots great. Check them out at bivouacboco.com. Wild Pursuit Wellness makes premium CBD products. It's all natural, broad-spectrum CBD, meaning that there is less than 0.0% THC. It can be ingested or used topically on the skin to help with muscle soreness or joints. We, we use it a lot after a long hike. Use promo code BOGA for 20% off at checkout. Check them out, wildpursuitwellness.com. I'm a conservationist, man. Well, it, you know, the, the, the genetic mapping, all these things have gotten a lot cheaper. So even, you know, little old wildlife biologists can, can use these tools, right? Usually they're kind of saved for the, the big time researchers, but get down here to the low level guys like me and other people. Uh, the the white tail gene pools, it's been mapped. The chromosome has been mapped now, right? And it turns out over 70% of antler traits on the sex-linked female chromosome. 
So until you can look at a doe and say, boy, her left ear is bigger That's than her right ear. That's the doe that did it, yeah. She kind of holds her tail on the left side or right side or whatever. You have no idea. Now, how that happens in captivity, you may see posts from deer breeders or whatever. They have a pedigree. Like my lab has a pedigree. They have a pedigree, you know, and they know who bred who and the results of that pairing or in cattle or whatever. In a wild free-ranging herd, you don't have any pedigrees. And hunters are making choices based on phenotypic expression or what they see. Yeah. Not but now it's actually going on. So I just really briefly here, really briefly, I was involved. I wasn't the lead researcher at all, but I was involved in a research project down at the King Ranch. You know, if you're not in Houston, Texas, 825,000 contiguous acres and big enough to do some research. And one of my buddies who was the lead researcher took a 10,000 acre, they call them paddocks or pastures here. And we did traditional, what you might call deer management. We shot enough does to make sure every, all the deer had enough food to eat. And any buck four years old or older. Skipped a 10,000 acre pasture. And then in this one, we did intensive culling because culling was really the big buzzword at the time, whatever. Under permit, under permit. Bucks were euthanized. Maybe they were chased into a net with a helicopter or we hunted them. You know, any way we could kill bucks. And you, we had all kinds of permits. So we could do a lot of things to do it. Uh, and the rules were you, you got rid, you euthanized any yearling buck uh, with less than six points. Any two-year-old buck with less than eight points. So that'd be a nine-point or better. Any three-year-old buck with less than 10 points, okay? Intensive cold. And again, helicopters, you know, no hunting club could do this for seven years. Seven Holy years. Cow. And at the end of seven years, there was a difference. There was way fewer bucks where we did that intensive culling, but the antler size no different. <laughs> really? Yeah, because we weren't impacting the does. We weren't impacting genetics. We're just reducing the amount of bucks out there to breed. Remember, the, the chromosome is sex-linked on the female chromosome. Now, this has been done again on a different project with a buddy of mine on the Faith Ranch in Texas. I was not involved which means I didn't get to shoot any of the deer. That's right. why I involved me. <laughs> I got to go work. Why are you taking your gun for? Well, I'm going to work, honey. Yeah. Don't worry about it. This, this is work. It's serious. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a serious work here, baby. Um, <laughs> so uh, they did some really cool work in genetics that involved more in prices and stuff come down. So they're picking up all the sheds and it's a large part of the ranch and they can look at these sheds and then, and then they're pulling, you know, ear samples off all the fawns and those. So they're building this huge matrix, a huge red hoop. I mean, it's never been done before. They got sheds or capturing deer with, with rocket necks and helicopters and all the harvested deer and all the deer to get a hand on to pull a genetic sample so they can build these big family trees. And it turns out that a 180 rarely throws a big buck. Rarely. But those 130s were throwing a lot of monsters. And it's, you know, it's who they're breeding with, who they're pairing with. So it really is fabulous research it's not getting enough airtime. i wish more hunters understood this but when you're calling bucks in a wild free-ranging herd you're on public land or private land in michigan missouri wherever you know all you're doing is taking a buck out of herd and, and that i'm not saying don't do that man that may be the buck of your lifetime or you need some food or whatever it is but don't do it under excuse that i'm helping the herd so i, I can made respect. a genetic yeah. connection because so, you did not do that so in michigan then i mean it seems to be known, at least we know it as, a lot of times a place with where the genet genetics aren't so good uh, for the bucks. Uh, like the average buck size is small, and you know we've heard, and then you travel and you see there's you know states with much better what seems to be genetics because the bucks are bigger, right? So you're t saying that that is actually due to the doe populations 
No, 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 no. In that case, no. Okay. No, no, no. As Barney Five said, nip it, nip it, nip it in the bud. Okay. Right? Do not spread that rumor. I, I can remember years ago, many years ago, there was a big genetics, white-tailed deer genetics conference at Texas A&M University. And I was a much younger biologist, man. I had my sport coat on. I could care less now, you know. And I had my pad, my pencil on. I just can't wait to start just just getting the brain filled up, you know, and and the, the big speaker happened to be the department head there, uh, Dr. Brown. I still know him uh, at Texas A&M. He's at North Carolina now, but he's, you know, guy's smart and he, he commands a lot of respect, right? And he gets up there to podium. I mean, all the little guys like me that want to learn, we're just like, you know, here it is, man. This is it. Yeah. You're getting ready to scribe the words of wisdom. yep Number two is nutrition. And number three is nutrition. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> really? And that's so true. I'm, I, I got to tell you, I love, you know, I'm a consultant. I love working like those places in Michigan or in South Carolina, Georgia. I've been doing a lot of work in those southern states recently because it's a lot warmer down there. Like I'm going to Iowa later this week. Uh, yeah, I probably cold. scheduled down a little too early. I wasn't planning on this cold spell, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I love working those southern places. It's a lot of times the nutrition's not as good. And I can go in there and prescribe some habitat work, you know, native vegetation and food plots. I like to address both of them and make a pretty big difference in antlers pretty quickly. When I go to Iowa, it's tough to make a 10% difference, right? When, when as far as you can see is soybeans, the only thing you can do is maybe get the buck a year older. And, and I'm close friends with the juries. I, I work with them a lot. And Mark and I have been buddies for a long, long time. Y'all may know years, years ago, I started this little company called Biologic and, and uh, gave half to, to Mossy Oak and Toxies and I still buddies and ended up going to a whole lot of Walmart meetings. And I'm a field biologist, man. So I just sold my shares out, no hard feelings at all. And, uh, and, and at that time, boy, we could get nutrition out there. And we could help people out because at that, you know, it was a long time ago, over 20 years ago, the food plants weren't what they were now. No one was doing native habitat management unless they did it by accident. You know, hey, my wife uh, burning trash the other day and started a fire. And gosh, there's a bunch of deer out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now if I can go to a closed canopy forest, uh, hardwoods or pine, and the landowner will allow me to write the right prescription, man, I can make a difference. And here's a rule of thumb for you that I think will prove all this for you that I've learned. I've never published this. I've shared it with some people, but I think you'll find it true. All right. Because it's usually, it's nutrition and then age. Okay. Take the average doe weight of those two and a half years old and older, mature doe. I don't care if it's two, five, seven. They don't vary a lot after two, a little bit, not a lot. Okay. Not like bucks. And, and let's say your average doe live weight. Now, I, you could use dressed weight, but people dress deer different. Some people leave the heart in, some take the heart out, some people pull more hide off. So live weight's just usually better. And that varies too. Is it a full tummy, like you killed it in the afternoon, and that's an empty tummy going to feed, or you pull it in the morning going back to the bedroom, it's got a full tummy. That can make a lot of weight difference. But anyway, just take the average there and multiply your average mature doe weight by 1.2. So if your mature does weigh 100 pounds on average, 
expect your average buck to score about 120. And, and if your mature does are 150, you know, you're in Iowa ag country or somewhere like that, then it's, expect your mature bucks to be, oh my goodness. And I have found that rule of thumb pretty true. And the only exceptions are, man, you're in ag country. I mean, those deer are just feeding you. You're killing some 170 pound does, but everyone is killing two year old bucks. Then it's not going to work out, right? Because they're not old enough to express their full potential. So, Mark and I can remember when Mark clearly, he, I mean, he was killing a bunch of 160s and 170s. I mean, Mark's a man. I mean, Mark's a good hunter. I'm not, Mark hangs his own stands. Mark is a good hunter, right? He knows deer. Yeah. He's the mad scientist for a reason. Man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and then Mark wants to start killing bigger deer. He didn't plant more food plots. He just started letting deer get older. And now you notice they're killing a lot of five, six, seven-year-old bucks. When used to, four was the gold standard. Now, you always have what I call the Michael Jordan buck. I mean, you know, Michael was just in my mode, was phenomenal. You know, there's, there's new basketball players now, but I'm old enough to remember Chicago Bulls and all that good stuff going on. Uh, you always got that. Well, that's the Hanson buck, the world record buck. I've had that jawbone in my hand along with a bunch of other, I'm not, but a bunch of really good biologists I happen to be with. We all aged it privately and, you know, wrote it down and compared notes. So we all aged it at three and a half years old. Or two years ago, this giant buck killed right outside of Nashville. I mean, just, I forget, it was non-typical, but it was, you know, 2X, it was 281, great big, I forget the exact score. It was three and a half years old. And you get these bucks, and here's why I don't think we just don't slam the world record, because we, we know how to grow bigger deer now. We could slam the world record now. There's two reasons why. Uh, a, these super two and a half and three and a half year old bucks, I mean, you know, one, there's 152 and a half year olds. I had a buddy kill a 162 and a half year old last year. I mean, clearly two and a half year old. Um, by me looking at the jaw and sending it off and having some minute manual I done. I mean, it was two and a half. Two and period. a half. Wow. Uh, and, and so those deer, I mean, who's passing the 160? There are some people that do. Yeah. But for 99.7% of us, you know, 160, funk, I mean, you're letting one fly. <laughs> yeah, and I'm grinning the whole uh, time. Not even yeah. thinking about it. Yep. Yeah. Or a 170, 180, three and a half year old. The only places those deer survive is like where Mark hunts and he's got cousins and buddies and everyone all around him for many miles saying, boys, we're not killing anything and girls except a five-year-old buck. And that's how you grow those monsters year after year after year. So there are places that do that. Uh, so age is so important. And then nutrition like, again, you can starve the antlers off a of deer. So if you're in an area that's all closed campy forest, there's not much sun getting down to the forest floor during the antler growing season, you're not going to see that. Fields, it's not the soybean. That's important. And soybean can be great quality nutrition. I'm not dogging soybeans at all. But the prairie can produce great deer because you got all this sun. And it boils down to something really simple, photosynthesis. C6H12O6. I mean, in seventh grade, everyone hated that. I got to memorize that, you know, but as a deer biologist, I have learned to love it. Because if I have more photosynthesis going on at that zero to three feet level, not up in the tree, zero to three feet, I'm going to grow bigger deer. There's more ground forage. Is that, is that what, what you're saying? Rapidly growing plants. Yeah. Okay. Splitting cells faster, making new cells are more palatable, more digestible. An old mature plant 
most of it's going in and going out the back end. Yeah, <laughs> just passing right through. <laughs> Does that newer growth provide more nutrition at all? That's that's what it is, right? Say it again. I'm sorry. Does that newer growth provide a more dense nutrition? Yeah, yeah. Because the cell is more digestible. It's, it's kind of called acid detergent fiber. If you if you ever look, send some forage off, have it analyzed in a lab or something. Well, the higher that acid detergent fiber numbers, you know, not necessarily a good thing. You want you want a low acid detergent fiber so more of it can be digested and less of it is passed through. Deer need fiber, the ruminants. Ruminants mean it's not four stomachs. That's kind of an old thing. You know, it's one stomach with four chambers. And each chamber does something different. Uh, like, you know, so here at the Proving Grounds, I mean, we, we do, we grow great deer. We grow 170 inch deer in the Ozark Mountains. And I will tell you, I mean, we're 20 years in this. This did not happen overnight. But when I got here, this was a burned out cattle farm. A guy had passed actually and left it to a hospital seven years earlier. So that any open field was just grown up in locust trees and shrubs. There was very little sun getting to the ground. And and I can remember, man, seeing a two-year-old buck that might have scored nine. He thought, maybe he's cooking with gas. I mean, <laughs> here. Yeah. In the in the county record, and, and in Missouri, like a lot of states, counties were set up. About 30 miles by 30 miles. And the reason is the law was anyone in the county had to be able to get to the courthouse on one day's horseback ride. They thought it was, you know, not fair for the guy that lived five miles away to go get the courthouse and maybe bid on land or do whatever. And the guy out in the county had to ride for three days. So most counties, until you get way out west, are, are one day horseback ride, which is considered 15 miles. Now they're a little odd shape because of rivers or, you know, cliffs or whatever, but something like that. So Missouri counties are about 30 miles, give or take. And there's a county line going right out this window, right through my property. So I'm two counties. I'm in two counties. And when I got here, Chris, I'm looking up the Pope and Young record. Back in the day, not now, but back in the day, someone killed a pretty good deer. They probably registered in Pope and Young. It's kind of a, a badge you want to wear, you know. And there was one buck in Boone and Crockett or Pope and Young. I think it scored like 132. You know, we, we, we harvest 150s every year and grow 170s and, and have killed one of those. So, you know, we're way above the average. It can be done anywhere. You just got to, we've killed a bunch of trees. I don't mean that mean, you know, Smokey the Bear was great at the time, but now we've protected forests so long. This is a big problem in California that not enough sunlight getting down. The trees are weak. You got this dead fuel laying on the ground. You get a fire started, it's hard to stop. That's the whole problem in California. The whole problem, and I'm not being political, that's just the whole problem. And here, we've killed a bunch of trees, and now the residual trees are healthier. So we talked about photosynthesis. All right, now imagine this. This is so cool, man. You got an oak tree, you talk about hunting, you know, you got some oaks on a ridge or whatever. You got an oak, and next time you're out there, look at this. And if the limbs are kind of all reaching up, okay, that's not a healthy tree. It's too much competition because it's starving for sun and it's reaching up. And you see a tree in the parking lot or the church or your yard or whatever, the limbs are going out. Because there's no competition. Yeah. Yeah. And it can have maximum photosynthesis. Photosynthesis totally drives acorn production, right? Without photosynthesis, there's no acorn production. With more photosynthesis, there's more acorn production. That makes sense. I mean, it's so simple, right. but it's like, and we'll, we'll walk through the woods and I'll point out. Those big, you know, my favorite ache, oak trees. They're all like reaching oh, out. They're and craggly. And trees. The limbs are way out. And they cover a quarter acre. And, and everyone likes to hunt them because, well, I don't know why, but deer always come by this big tree. I mean, I hear that all the time. You know, it's like deer got a map or something. I don't know why, but they go by this big tree. 
And I'm just thinking, go back to seventh grade, man. Let's talk about photosynthesis. Because you got, you know, how did this, you know, for most of the forests in America have been harvested three or four times, you know, just from pioneers. Pioneers in way, but I mean, they're coming through and they're girdling trees so they can plant a crop. It's just, I don't get these people whining about stuff in that past, right? They didn't know any better. They're just doing what they could do. So they girt all these old oak trees, right? And they're just got the mule and the plow and they're planting right in between there, all right? So that was forest one. Forest two, it grew back, but still pretty good shape. And we're building houses, starting to build some houses, whatnot. And we're like, we're cutting trees, boys. We're making some money. We're just making money, man. They're going on the railroad. We got the railroad established. I mean, logs are going to town. Harvest three. Harvest three. And some places going now, most places east here, it's already happened. Uh, you know, hey, I'll, I, I think you got some sellable woods. So what I'm going to do, and I hear this all the time, I'm going to cut every tree that's 14 inches or bigger and let those other trees be your next crop. You hear that all the time. The problem is those trees aren't controlled, so the next crop is dog hair thick. And none of them grow up to express their full potential, just like too many cows on a pasture or too many deer in the woodlot or whatever. There's too much competition. So they're starving for sun. So you got this really tall, skinny tree that has no canopy. So its immune system's a little weak. And if you get a disease or insect outbreak or something, it's much more susceptible because its immune system's weakened. You got a big old healthy woofy tree, man, that thing. And then I love this line. Some people use, not all foresters. I got a lot of buddies are foresters, but a few of them might stretch it in any, in any profession. Some people take advantage of the system. And they say, well, you know, you better cut those trees because if they get a little bit older, they're going to die. I'm like, really? Well, let's see, you know, most people live, you know, 70, 80 years. White oaks can live 700 years. What generation are you talking about? <laughs> Your great, great, great grandkids. Which one are you talking about here? Yeah. Industrial force, I get it, man. They own land. They pay taxes to make a living. They should be able to do what they want. Private landowners, a lot of private landowners I work for, their primary mission is wildlife, not timber. Timber is a secondary mission. So let's harvest a little, but instead of high grading, taking the best and leaving the rest, let's leave the best and let them grow older and better. And take the smaller wood out, which is not as much money, make pulp wood or lower quality products out of it, but improve that forest and, and you'll be better for wildlife. And someday some of your relatives are going to have a slam dunk harvest. So in Michigan, a lot a lot of places around here will be out in kind of swampy areas or whatever, um, or yeah. real, real thick areas. And we'll find these old apple trees. You know, we'll find like it's what used to be an apple grove that, you know, was, must have been sold back to the state. And, you know, it's always in thick, like, what is it, what those olive? Wild olives. Wild, yeah. wild olives. And they never produce apples. Is that the same principle? Are they not producing apples be, for in, in some part because they're so crowded out? Competition and unhealthy. And this is well known. I mean, guys find those old trees on National Forest, wherever. Don't tell anyone who said National Forest because it's illegal, but they're just cut the trees right around that apple tree, get it some sunshine, maybe prune a few limbs out of the apple tree. Apples need air going through there. If there's too many limbs, they don't get the right airflow. And, and that old tree that's pretty stagnant, in about two years will be loaded with apples, and it's a feed tree, man. Hang your stand, it's a feed tree. That golden apple. I, uh, I, used, to, I used to have some family friends who lived, had a uh, cabin up near Wexford County. Yep. Here in the state, and point uh, two on your hand where that is. No, <laughs> you know where that is. Yeah, I know where it is. But uh, they had some state land 
uh, butt up right next to their cabin. And while they were out scouting mm-hmm. one day, they had found an, an apple tree, just as you were talking about. And they were able to, I guess we'll say, coerce it back into production. And it was actually, mm-hmm. the, it was like a, a gold, what's the golden apple species? Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But golden they called it, species. yeah, they called it their golden apple stand. Yeah, and, and they worked. would kill deer every time out of that stand. It was actually pretty yeah. cool to see. Yeah, yeah. Or you can do an acorn tree the same way, right? Anything that's producing a nut or a fruit that deer like, and you give it more sun. I mean, you know, if there's not a tree in 200 yards either way, you can't give it more sun. Don't kill that tree. I'm talking about competition with the canopy. So people ask me which tree to cut, and I said, what I do is when I'm doing TSI timber stand improvement, and you know, I get in timber or whatever, and I find the tree I want to leave. And I literally put my back to it. And then I just look up at the canopy. Okay, that tree's, maybe there's hickory here. It's competing and, you know, an elm or another smaller oak that's all crooked bent because it was reaching for sun the whole time. And, and you may end up, you know, we can be polite and say terminating or killing seven, eight, nine, ten trees around there to help that one be more productive. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Too bad you can't do that on public land. <laughs> they don't like it. I could it. think of a few trees don't I would do love to. Yeah, don't do that. Grant Woods did not say go do this on public <laughs> land. Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that legal disclaimer right here. Uh, no, that's good. So, um, yeah, I, di- I didn't know that. It, it's, it makes me think of just co- talking about, you know, bringing it back to, to the doe uh, effect on, you know, antler. Um, another question for you. I, uh, a couple of years ago, my dad had killed, I think, what turned out to be an eight-year-old buck. Oh, that wow. he, he shot thinking it was a doe. It didn't have antlers, and it was you know he's just we're out there trying to get the uh, the buck to doe ratio better uh, up in northern Michigan. He gets up to it and it has these these antlers like that a, were like, like a little thumb, like two thumbs pointing kind of in, and it was it just had lived. It had hardly any teeth, like had really hardly anything in the way of teeth. Um, but it was just like kind of a genetic freak that I know it grossed him out. He ate it. But I know it kind of gave him the willies eating like his his free. Yeah, no, I mean, if it was if it was really no teeth, it was starving. It wasn't a genetic freak. It was just senile. It was just old and senile. Few deer get that way. It wasn't a genetic freak. I mean, you don't brush your teeth, and you live to eighty. You won't have any teeth either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of figure about ten years in human deer, roughly. You know, roughly, really rough math there. But, yeah, you don't brush your teeth. And deer have a sweet tooth, apples, fruits, you know, whatever, got these natural sugars in them. Uh, uh, yeah, they did. They, and, and the teeth wear, you know, that's why we age by the wear and replacement technique. So, you know, you, deer don't have any incisors on top. That's kind of a, you know, a cartilaginous plate up there. And the incisors on the bottom. And then they have what's called, big word here, infundibulum, that space between the incisors and where the premolar start. There's six teeth back here. There's several cusps, but six teeth. And those first three are premolars. And that's how we age deer because they will shed like our milk teeth at about a year to a year and a half old, depending on which tooth it is. And if that third tooth has three cusps or three mountain points, it's, a year, it's called a year and a half. I mean, maybe 14 months or 17 months, what we call a year and a half. And then when that's replaced, it'll actually be pushed out just like we lost teeth and a two cusp tooth comes in. Then we know it's at least two and a half and older. And then you age by the rest of the teeth. You think of it, and this is backwards. Think of a chocolate ice cream cone dipped in vanilla. 
So the outside of a deer's teeth are enamel, kind of an off-white enamel coating, hard enamel coating, and the inside is dentine, and it's brown or chocolate. So the more they eat, they wear off the enamel, the more dentine you see. And we look at that spacing of dentine to enamel. On the, the, there's three premolars, and the first tooth back is a molar. That will be the oldest tooth in a mature deer's mouth because it popped in right after the baby teeth or the three premolars. So we come in before the last two molars come in, right? And it's not shedding, so it's there. So that's the oldest too. So as the deer gets older, that gap between dentine and enamel will be wider and wider and wider. That's called the wear and replacement. I that I did not know. I, awesome. I didn't know the 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 humps uh, on the teeth were one and a half and two two and a half two two and a half year old. Only on that only on that third premolar. Third premolar. I got to remember only that. That's a that's great. Don't twist the words, man. Yeah, I know. I try to get <laughs> to keep that straight. I'll t- make a note. There you go. Well, that is that's incredible. And I, you know, I know I'm I'm looking and I know we're coming up on time uh, here. Um, but you know, I, I want to cover going into this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talked about some of the things that you're seeing happening, some of the ways that you're preparing, um, you know, what, what's your, like, wh- I know, you, you know, you, we had talked a little while ago um, uh, via email about you, you're helping clients out and, and doing various things around their property. What other things are you doing? You maybe you prescribe burns or, or what, what does it look like? Yeah, that type we're, of work? we're out of prescribed fire season here because it's so green now, you know, fire won't really carry much and we're in the, you know, turkey nesting. I'm sure there's a few very early fawns on the ground. Not the most of them in this, your, my latitude, your latitude will be born in late May, first of June, but there's always a few real early ones. It's always a bell-shaped curve. Uh, uh, so we're out of burning season now. And and some birds, neotropical migrants are starting to nest. You know, it's just not the appropriate time to burn. And so now we're, we're getting ready to plant food plots. We can terminate trees any time of the year. It's never a bad time to do TSI, timber stand improvement. This time of year, my favorite and most efficient, I'm really efficient-oriented guy, hack and squirt won't work too well uh, because so much sap is coming up. Maple syrup, you know, you guys all know all about this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you send me a quarter of that, by the way? Yeah, no, yeah. Listen, yeah. I'm looking and for anyway, some. <laughs> so this time of year, we use double girdle. If this is the tree... We just take a chainsaw, lightweight chainsaw, and go all the way around it twice, double girdle. And one thing living in a hardwood, like that, you know, that one by behind you, the door frame is made out of, that was not living when the tree was cut. The center of the tree is structural support. The only thing living is the cambium, you know, circulatory system. You may remember xylem and phloem. The circulatory system is right under the inner bark. And once that matures, it's structural support. There's no nutrients going up or down in there in a hardwood tree. Yeah. So when you're, when you're double girdling or you're girdling or you're hacking squirting, you're just cutting through the bark, make sure you get the inner bark. And, and the girdling, you're going to need to double girdle. And a lot of species, if you, your, your top kill it then, better to sprout back. And like if hickory sprout back, deer are not eating hickory sprout. If you see deer eating hickory, they're starving. They just don't like it. It doesn't taste good. Don't like it. It's not digestible. Oak sprouts they may eat. Maple sprouts are pretty palatable. You know, but if you're cutting 100 acres of maple, there's too many sprouts and it just comes to the jungle, right? They just... They just can't keep up with it. So you kind of figure out what species you're working on and your species are tougher to kill. You're going to need to put a little herbicide in the top girdle. I don't know why, but you get a better kill rate in the top girdle than the bottom girdle. And that works from about when the leaves are changing colors all the way up to about mid-July. Now, mid-July, it's warmer, you know, bugs are out, blah, blah, blah. You can just take a hatchet and just hack in at about a 30, 45 degree angle 
and cut through that cambium layer and about one square or one milliliter of herbicide, the appropriate herbicide for that species, that's a whole number of conversation. Uh, and I use one hack and other people do too. I did not come up with this. I'm just learning from other people and refining, but one hack for about every three inches diameter tree. Let's go fast, right? You got a squirt bottle in one hand, your hatchet in the other hand, a sharp hatchet, and one guy can walk in there and terminate a lot of trees quickly. I mean, you can really work on the canvas of your property. This is what I want my future to look like. I'm painting that canvas. And that is a great tool that any landowner, five acres, five acres can use. See, I heard I heard you could take like a like a power drill and drill into the trunk and then squirt some herbicide in there and do almost the same thing. Yeah, that's but, too much work. I mean, it's right. just boom, squirt, done. Right. Boom, squirt, done. Your, your battery, yeah, your battery doesn't go dead. Now your arm will get tired. I mean, I, you really, your arm doesn't get that bad. You, here's a couple of tips. I mean, real world tips. You want a hatchet that will absorb most of the vibration because if you're not used to doing this, you will have tennis elbow. Yeah. But yep. that hatchet's going to, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> you want a rubber handle or, you know, something that's taking some of the vibration out. And I just do it at the height of the tree where I'm not really, you know, you know I'm not going, yeah. <laughs> I've just got a, a relatively heavy hatchet that the weight of it will penetrate the distance I want. I don't want to go too deep because in that center wood, my herbicide just sitting there. I'm just wasting product. But, and I just let the weight of the hatchet fall down, squirt. And I'm not making big swings. I'm just letting the weight of the hatchet do it. So it's really not that bad. Where chainsaws loud. And if you think about it, chainsaws putting out more pollution, right? All chainsaws are throwing oil off the blade if it's working right. And of course, burning, you know, a hatchet is a little bit more natural. It's it's more clean. Yep. And like plus, you got to work on your arms. They're looking a little, uh, you got noodle <laughs> arms there going, buddy. You, know, you can crank your bow up for, for each 20 or 30 acres you do, you can crank your bow up a few pounds. Yeah, that's right. Maybe you'll finally hit 60 pound drawback there, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, well, oh. we appreciate you uh, taking the time uh, today uh, for people who listen, who I don't who may may not know who you are or they're you know, probably where to find living you. under a rock. They're living under a rock. But where can they oh. where can they learn? I mean, you, you shed a, you shed tonight uh, just a little bit of your, the information that you have every week. Where can they see these videos and follow? Yeah, if you just, on almost any almost any platform, just look for growing deer. GrowingDeer.com, if you're on the web, or, you know, .tv, and Bass Pro syndicates us every week, and, of course, Amazon, Roku, uh, Apple Fire. I, I, I really, that's someone else does all that. I just, like, I'm the biologist, right? They don't trust that's me. That's a sweet job. Stuff. You're the talent. It's a good job to have. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no one on my team would say that, for sure. <laughs> Well, we appreciate you having uh, coming on, um, and, and yeah, like, yes, like I said, you. everybody's listening, want, wants some more, a lot more information, uh, go check them out. Cool. Just go join there. Yeah. Thank you all for having me so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Absolutely.